been marked as the year of Albertina Sisulu, a woman who stood steadfast against the might of apartheid in the nation, has been privileged, I think, to spend the time this year, 2018, living her legacy. Good afternoon. Welcome to Newsbreak Talk today. I'm Talish Hadi Peshad. I'm keeping you company for the hour. And yes, as August heralds, it's the month of South Africa's women. It's a time to celebrate the gains that uh, these women made in for their fight against oppression. And of course, it, it all goes back to the Women's March, which was, I think, unprecedented in terms of testing the might of South African women. So on that note, then, the nature of women in politics becomes a big talking point when you look at the legacy of South Africa in terms of the woman who's steadfast. We've named a few. We've spoken about Veliyama, Rahima Musa, Phyllis Naidu, Fatima Mir. I mean, those are just some of the women who've uh, made a great mark, either standing up to apartheid forces, organizing and creating committees and forums to take the human rights of women further, or sometimes just providing a helping hand to support fellow women. I think this is the legacy then that South Africa looks at when you um, declare a year uh, as the year of Albertina Sisulu. So I think our focus here today, this afternoon, is to paint a picture as to who Albertina Sisulu was and, and, and understand her life. I think it becomes important to pay tribute uh, to her and, and to know her story. Of course, she's the um, wife of the late Walter Sisulu, the former Dervonia trialist, and she has played several roles within the you know, the landscape of South African politics. She joined the ANC's Women League um, in 1948. By 1950, she had, um, you know, taken up a leadership role both within the ANC and even in the Federation of South African Women. She was a nurse by trade, so a big caregiver, a big heart, always wanting to, to, to help, um, you know, those in need. And I think one of the, 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 the hallmarks into her legacy was 1956, one of the organizers of that historic anti-pass women's march. And I think that in itself becomes very relevant for you right now because it is for that reason that you comm commemorate Women's Month in August. And um, she was also the first woman to be arrested under the General Laws Amendment Act. And, and, and you know, to enlighten you and to provide you with the information, I think even to provide myself with the information because so much of our legacy we don't even know as people. That act, what it did was it gave police the power to hold suspects in detention for 90 days, right, without even charging them. And in the case of um, Mama Sisulu, she was placed in solitary confinement for about two months and this was because uh, Walter Sisulu had gone underground and the security branch was looking for a husband and so as a way to you know create that psychological terror as was the the construct of of the apartheid machinery she was placed in solitary confinement for two months and her activism continues and it continued to uh, she spent more time in solitary confinement I think in 1981 then again in 1985 and what we learn of her story was that she was never faced by it. She continued to fight. So that's the woman we're saluting here today on Newsbreak and so many others like her who've taken the fight forward for liberation and for a, for a better space for women in South Africa. So let's just bring you this particular interview. I was quite moved, you know, doing it. Uh, I think the Newsbreak talk team, Rachel and myself, were just 
literally, I don't know what to ask next. <laughs> so we spoke to Eleanor, Eleanor Sisudo, and she is the daughter of, uh, daughter-in-law, sorry, of um, my Albertina Sisulu. And she spent a great deal of time, of course, you know, walking alongside her mother-in-law. That was the first bit of interaction, the first bit of um, understanding into this mammoth person that Albertina Sisulu was. And then she went on to research and write several books on course her father-in-law Walter Sisulu and yes mama Albertina Sisulu as well so let's speak now to Eleanor Sisulu she's the daughter-in-law of Albertina Sisulu it must be such a privilege for you as a woman um, a Sisulu woman to be celebrating the year of mama Albertina Sisulu yes it is it is a privilege and um, an honor but also it's something which has brought home to us the need for a lot of legacy work because what we found is that history gets lost very quickly. And most definitely, I think that legacy really becomes the focus now when you commemorate a centenary as, as, as grand as Mama Sisulu's. But before we come to that legacy, let's just talk about the narrative and the story. You know, help the young people, help every South African right now understand what Mama Sisulu stood for. Hopefully people would have read about her, would know that she was born in 1918. Uh, in in the Transkai, in the village of uh, Polobe, and that she grew up there, went to Joburg, became a nurse in the 1940s. In 1940, married Walter Sisulu, became a political leader in her own right by the 1950s, and uh, after he was sentenced to a life uh, imprisonment on Robben Island, she carried on the struggle. She was a nurse. Uh, and a community worker, and she had a great passion for children and education. I think that's in a nutshell. Oh, and then she served as a member of parliament, the first democratic parliament, and she was actually the person who nominated Nelson Mandela to become president in the first sitting of the democratic parliament. Really what she stood for was a steadfastness in terms of standing up for what one believed to be right, to be just and to be uh, fair. And I think in a modern South Africa, those issues remain eternal and something that, as you pointed out at the beginning, still needs to be worked on. Yes, she was very steadfast and committed. I think she was also a very modest person in her the way she she carried herself. She she didn't like uh she really didn't like the limelight. She was there because it had to be. But if she had a way she was more of a quieter, reflective person. But what I think what is important about the legacy for us and especially for the grandchildren I've seen is that it it, it really makes them express the love they felt for their grandmother and what she gave them. The commitment to education, the, the commitment to just doing the right thing and to, being con to be consistent and therefore people. Also what they say, you know, there's a saying, she was not a respecter of persons. She would, she would treat everybody the same. Um, it, it didn't mean if someone came from a very humble background or whether they were a millennial. She would accord them the same courtesy and the same consideration. And that's something that I really admired of her. The other thing is that she was also a very courageous woman. You know, I've seen her standing up to the police 
when my knees were knocking and she just would stand up and face them and draw herself tall and look them in the eye and just defy them. It was really quite something to see. I can't help and I have to ask this question watching that, watching her in action, um, seeing her, you know, not just talk the talk, but literally walk it as well. What was it like for you? I mean, you mentioned your knees were knocking, but take me through the experiences of the actual encountering of her standing up to um, the apartheid forces. Well, the first experience was when I had come from Zimbabwe, because I, I, I come from Zimbabwe, and I was getting married to her son. At the time, he was in exile. So I, I came on my own. Um, in fact, I think it was my second visit in 1988, and I was with my mother. And so I was feeding the baby at about, I think it must have been 2 or 3 in the morning. And we heard this knocking from, it was like, I, I've never experienced anything like it. It's if you're in a house and people are knocking at every door and every window right around the house. Just this loud, insistent, violent uh, knocking. And I, 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 got, I got such a shock because it, I, I just didn't know what to think. And then they shouted, open police, just open. And she, I remember her seeing her coming out of the bedroom uh, with her pink dressing gown, flying to the kitchen door to open it and shouting. And then they all came in with their guns. And while they were searching the house with their guns, she was scolding them, telling them, you're such a disgrace coming to people's houses, decent people's houses at this time of the morning. Who do you think you are? Have you got no yeah, shame? Yeah. And <laughs> they're moving around with their guns, and I was so terrified. But she, I mean, that thing of her scolding these young police uh, and just asserting herself with no uh, fear of you know, the consequences it's something which, it's an image which I'll never yeah, ever yeah. Because, I mean, just the act of raising your voice to that officer, the person of superior color at that stage, in itself was something that anybody's, uh, you know, in that in that era, anybody's would, their knees would knock just to do that. But there must have been some, some really great, um, really great stories of 1956. Yes, she did. Uh, the Women's March, when, when I was writing the biography, researching the biography which I wrote on her and Tata Sisulu, uh, I spent some time, a lot of time interviewing them. And one of the interviews was about the Women's March. And she spoke about how women came from all over the country and in very typical circumstances. Because to travel at that time, but at that time it was during the apartheid era, just moving around as a black person in the cities was was an issue, and you could be stopped any time and harassed. And these women came from all over the country. They came at their own cost, and it required a very very high level of organisation and coordination. There were no cell phones at the time or internet, and she got up early on that day to travel to Pretoria. There to travel in groups of six and seven. Uh, so that they don't get detected by the police. So they couldn't come by bus. They had to travel by train. And for those women, I mean, for 20,000 people to come here, and Pretoria was a very, very hostile place. Right. 
And so for these women to arrive and to get to the station and in groups of six and seven get to union buildings and do this march, it, it was the most extraordinary thing. Wow, fascinating. I think shifting away from the politics of the time then, she was your mother-in-law. So talk to me about that relationship. You know, often there's that, uh, that, there's that running joke that mother-in-laws and daughter-in-laws have that semi-awkward relationship. What was yours like? You know, I say about my mother-in-law that if I had ordered a mother-in-law from God and given exact specifications of what I wanted, I couldn't have ordered anyone better than Masisulu. Yes. Uh, she was just the most incredible mother-in-law because she didn't believe in... One thing she believed in the political life of, her, of women. So whether you're married or whether you're children, you had a political and public life. So she believed a lot in people's public... Uh, in people's community identities. So therefore, you know... Working as a professional person or going to political meetings or going to organizational meetings uh, with a mother-in-law like that, it, it was never an issue. I know some women with a mother-in-law would frown if you're not at home and looking after the children. She she was not like that. She didn't even like the word makoti because the people came and said makoti, makoti. Yeah, yeah. She would, she would say, these are my children. I mean, I just want to say on that very point that you say, Mama Sisulu didn't like the term Makoti being used. It just speaks such volumes about how ahead of her time she was from a feminism perspective. You know, these are women who are in my home. They don't need to be categorized and bracket, bracketed into a specific term. But I think finally, as, as, as we end the interview now, um, that legacy going forward in a 2018 context, your thoughts on that, you know, where do South African women currently find themselves in politics and is it in line with the vision that Mama Sisulu had all those years ago? Wow, that's a, that's a loaded question. I think the main, the, the issue of violence against women and sexual, uh, gender-based violence and that kind of abuse is something that horrified her. And you know, the marches that women have been having around the country, I think those are the kind of things that we need to, especially for young women, that women need to organize against these things. Women always need to organize, and I think that's really important. I, I find it sad for me that the political formations within, let me not talk about parties, let me talk about the party that I know, the ANC. I don't think that it's where it should be and where she would have wanted it to be, quite frankly. I think there's a lot of things, a lot of challenges. Uh, and that, you know, women, many young women activists pre pre prefer to organize outside those formations. I think that women, whatever, whether it's church, community, political party, within their professional life, Women need to be organized in some form or the other and network and support each other. Eleanor Sisulu, the daughter-in-law of Mama Albertina Sisulu, as we pay homage to the year of Albertina Sisulu, tracking the life and times of this political icon, her contribution to the liberation of South Africa and... Um, you know, putting it under the map, the under the uh, under the focus about what this year should compel you as South Africans to reflect on, to do, and to understand. When we come back, though, we talk about the um, 
role of women in politics in a contemporary uh, circumstance. Let me ask you your thoughts on that. Stay tuned. Yes, we are talking about the role of women in contemporary politics as we pay homage to Albertina Sisulu. Of course, it's the year of Albertina Sisulu, and what better month than August to start off uh, and, and to really zone in on that focus. We took to the streets and we asked South Africans what their thoughts were on women representation in South African politics, and this is what they had to say. My opinion of women in politics is that um, we do not see too many women actively involved in politics in this day and age because it has been stereotyped as more of a man's profession. So women need to get more actively involved with political parties and so forth and in that way we should see a change. There is a lot of women in politics. Because if you look at uh, the ruling party as an example, and if you have to review their cabinet, you would see a lot of women in politics. So women is actively involved, but not so prominently in terms of high-level positions. But yeah, once again, they are involved. I think women in politics is good also for our Indian women. And if we benefit from it, however, it's uh, good for us. But I don't have a problem with the men in politics. But it will be a benefit to women if women up there in politics, uh, Indian women especially in politics, I think it will benefit us a lot. There's not enough. I think there should be more. There should be more. There's not enough. There's more males than females, yeah. Well, coming from a woman's point of view, I think women will understand women better. And the needs of women, of course, yeah. Not saying men don't understand, but women will have a better understanding of women. I think women in politics should be strongly thought about because they they are force in the country. Women are finally they are mothers, and they give a lot of good advice, and they do have woman power. And I'm very happy about to say that women should be going forward in the political arena. Uh, uh, there is quite a bit, but I think we need more. We need to empower women in the political arena. Yeah, we should be buying uh, more for the uh, women power. They have a lot of rights. They've got, they've got a lot of things to prove to people in the country. I think we should go forward with that. We're talking about women in South African politics as a homage to Mama Albertina Sisulu. Of course, 2018 declared the year of Albertina Sisulu, and we're throwing our focus there. We're going to take your phone calls in a short while, but before we do that, I want to uh, spend some time speaking to uh, a very important guest today, somebody who's been on our show previously, and we quite um, you know benefit from the insight we we learn from her. And that's none other than Professor Kalpana Hiralal, and. In her current uh, her current work she's been up to in the past few weeks is she's the head researcher of the 1860 Heritage Center's exhibition to salute the role of women in the freedom struggle. Professor Hiralal, a very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you and good afternoon Yes, Professor Hiralal. And I think, you know, it, it, it comes at a very significant time, that uh, exhibition on the role of women in the freedom struggle, the year of Mama Albertina Sisulu. Help us understand, you know, what is planned for this exhibition? Okay, this exhibition um, is very important because what the exhibition tries to show is the whole contribution of women in South Africa and the freedom struggle. 
It's just a really bad line there with Professor Hirao. I'm battling to hear what she is saying. I think we're going to try and call her again. Maybe we'll have a better line um, when we try and call her in a short while. So stay tuned to us. We're talking about the role of women in the liberation struggle in contemporary South African politics as we pay homage to Albertina Sisulu. We're also going to be taking your calls in a short while. It's half past one here on Newsbreak Talk. We are trying to connect through to Professor Galpani Hiralal to talk about the um, Heritage Centre's exhibition to salute the role of women in the freedom struggle. We also take your calls just now, but I want you to WhatsApp me so long. 0716137803. I'd like to know your thoughts on women representation in South African politics. And I think if you want to broaden the conversation through to you on that um, um, community level, you know, your thoughts on... Um, where women currently find themselves within the um, you know ambit of governance in terms of their rights, in terms of their issues, their concerns. You know, does government hear well? Does government heed well to um, to the very nature of of what? Um, you know, women are trying to achieve and, and want to do. So we'll take your calls now. You can also call us 089-310-8789. Give us a call. Let us know your thoughts. The phone lines are now open as we try and take the conversation forward on the role of women in South African politics and what it means in a contemporary South Africa. I think it's an important conversation to have at the start of Women's Month going forward into, and I think, a lot more activations and a lot more um, interaction that's uh, going to be taking place. So you get dialing, you can call me 089-310-8789. Half past one on news break talk, go ahead and get dialing and get texting as we take the conversation on women in South African politics mm -hmm. further. Um, as we wait for Professor Kalpana Hiralal to try and connect with her about the exhibition that's interestingly taking place, um, it will be taking place on Women's Day and we can talk to her about that, what went into it and, and ultimately the role then of women in the liberation movement. Let's talk about it now on the contemporary aspect of it as well. I'm very happy to be joined on the line by Professor Jodine Steinkutzer, who's a political analyst, Professor Jolene Steinkutzer. Thanks so much for your time. Always happy to help. Oh, always great to, to, to get the insight from you as well. And I think, you know, I want to start off by, by talking to you about, you know, the, 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 the most basic, basic point about this conversation, the year of Albertina Sisulu. And I think we've spent the first half, half an hour identifying Albertina Sisulu, painting a picture of her, talking about her life and times. And, you know, how important then does this commemoration of an Albertina Sisulu, um, how important is it for South Africa in its 2018 context? You know, I think if we look at uh, just the border theme, the year of Albertina Sisulu, but also, you know, the theme that goes along with it, a woman of fortitude. Um, and we take into consideration that we just saw the total shutdown march, what was it, on 1 August? Um, you know, contesting the high levels of violence that women and children still endure for, for that matter. I think the whole idea of fortitude, of how women need to overcome certain structural barriers, even though it is the year of 2018, um, remains an important element that we do need to talk about. Yeah, and I think a lot of the narrative, a lot of the conversation has been talking about the representation, um, you know, of women in, in politics. And I've got some fascinating statistics here, Professor Kotza, that I think we're going to enjoy talking about in a short while. But 
it's not only about that, isn't it? It's from a day-to-day issue of, of women. You know, the, as you pointed out there, the total shutdown campaign spoke about gender-based violence and, and women's rights. And, and there's also the economic emancipation of women, women representation in the boardroom, representation in the workplace. So, you know, while we talk about politics, the spill-on effect is of what women are going through on the ground. But I think that is ultimately the point, you know, because if you are talking about women in politics, we very often tend to limit that conversation to, you know, either what is women's representation in those formal political uh, entities, whether it be parliament or as constitutional uh, judges or, or whatever the case may be. Um, the fact of the matter remains, politics is about power and a power dynamic that plays out. So if one looks just as a simple thing, the day-to-day lived realities of many women, and we take something like the responsibility for family care, for example, um, and how women take generally a larger share in caring for families or caring for children, caring for sick ones, and how that may then eventually impact on their ability to be able to pursue their own life streams. So it's those conversations that we also need to have, and not just looking at um, you know, what is the formal structure of representation for women, but rather those structural um, barriers within society that can undermine the full emancipation of women. And going into it then, so many years after democracy, and, and I know that, that that keeps on popping up, have women effectively benefited from so many political gains being made in the country. You know, democracy is one of them. Um, a push for gender representation, gender parity is another. Um, the entire um, concept, I think, in its most recent um, time of radical economic transformation, have women benefited from that or have they been left behind? You know, it's, it's always an interesting question because on the one hand, one can't ignore the gains that have been made. But on the other hand, one also cannot ignore some of those continuing, uh, let's say, obstacles that tend to undermine the full emancipation of women. And it's a very difficult conversation to have because very often, you know, patriarchy comes in, issues of um, what many would argue culture, changing cultural values around the position of women in society and women in the home. Um, so I think when we look at, you know, the last uh, 24-odd years of, of democracy in South Africa, I do think that we have made a lot of gains in terms of of gender empowerment, but we also need to be aware that that uh, momentum that we have have built, most notably I would say in the mid-1990s when we had all these new legislation and laws and, and white papers and things come out, that that does not get lost. We are talking about, for example, uh, land expropriation without compensation. And I worry that the woman's voice has been very, very silent in that conversation. You know, you look at a province like the Eastern Cape, for example, um, you look at, at issues of vulnerability, you look at the number of women-headed households, where do they fit in when we start this conversation about radical economic transformation? I think that that, that in itself then becomes a major point to focus. But how's this for a question, and it's a broad one, um, would more women representation in politics and like I did indicate we are going to throw about some numbers just now but would more women representation in politics more political figureheads uh, who are female would that make an impact in um, inspiring women to take a bit more ownership of themselves to try and demand as you pointed out 
demand their voice be louder within the um, you know discussion on land expropriation, for example. You know, very often we speak of and say, okay, if we get more women representatives around the table, then the women's voice would be there. Um, And that is an important element to get a female perspective, so to speak, on the various policy directives. But I do think that it needs to go further than that, that when we engage these policy questions or these questions of development or transformation, we actually need a gendered analysis. Um, You know, so very often once a, a country passes a budget, for example. Um, We tend to focus on what the key elements of those budgets are, how it's going to affect uh, vulnerable communities, but we never really engage in a full gendered analysis of what that budget would mean, for example, men vis-a-vis women. And that is the important element. You must have representation, but at the same time, that representation must be used to bring in that gendered analysis because ultimately it's through that gendered analysis that this, um, you know, hidden power dynamic, so to speak, um, can then be um, uh, revealed and one can start dealing with that. Let's talk about the numbers then, the information and research coming through to us. And according to the United Nations, who've done, you know, extensive um, work globally on the representation of women in politics, and I think South Africa ranks number 10 for the number of women or the amount of women in parliament. And it's at 42% in our South African parliament, which you know equals to about 167 seats out of, well, as they've calculated it, 398 seats. Um, and, you know, of course, government, and we understand the ruling party, often pushing that narrative and that discussion of, 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 of 50-50 gender representation. Um, where does South Africa find itself when you take those stats into account? You know, I think it's a little bit of an irony um, also that although we may rank 10th in terms of women representation, we are also a society that is characterized by very high levels of gender-based violence. Um, You know, and again, that is where the question comes in. Is Once you have, let's say, represent or female representation within those higher structures, what is the impact, the policy impact and the impact on changing societal dynamics around gender relations. Um, So for me, I think we need to be careful in looking at women's representation just as a proverbial game of numbers, but it does need to extend into what is the impact that one would see from that female representation, from having a female voice within those higher structures. And, you know, apart from that, also the, you know, the, the quality of that representation, I mean, in a ministerial perspective, South Africa has about, I think it's according to the calculations, about 15 ministerial positions from a cabinet of 36. Uh, you would then have to question, well, what ministerial positions, you know, um, are they ranked at senior levels of government, you know, the big debate we had, and we've spent a lot of time, Professor, talking about this uh, during December last year, one um, one woman in the executive of the ruling party of, the South, of South Africa. You've got to question the quality of these positions. No, definitely, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the quality of the representation that comes down. And I think, uh, for me, one of the clearest, clearest examples of where we may have had a failure of 
and really looking at what is the quality for ensuring not uh, not gender equality per se, but rather security for vulnerability, would have been the controversy around the social grant system. Um, you know, the, the 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 uncertainty on whether grants would be paid, um, and I think you know, given that one, we had a female minister as the political head in that portfolio, um, one would have had hope that there would have been more of an appreciation for the insecurity and the vulnerability that it could have created, most notably around child grants. And as I had mentioned, generally we find that women do take most responsibility for the family care work that needs to happen. Well, I think you also get a chance to talk to us about that. You know, your thoughts on female representation within South African politics. How is it filtering down to change and benefit the lives of of women in, in, in South Africa? I'd love to know your thoughts. That number is 089-310-8789. And also, on, I think on a sentimental note, share with me, you know, the political figureheads that you believe have made a difference in South Africa, have made a difference in your community. We're not only talking about global and national politics. Um, within your local communities, in your local environment, which woman figurehead has really represented your views and made a difference in your life? Call us 089-310-8789. You know, uh, Professor Kotze, uh, a while ago I was speaking to uh, no less than Eleanor Sisulu, the daughter-in-law of Mama Albertina Sisulu. And uh, she, you know, she put out a criticism there. And it's something I'd, I'd, you know, I'm, I'm, I think as a journalist I'll have to take forward with, with the relevant uh, authorities on it. But she said she can only speak for the party that she rep- has represented and the legacy that she's come from. Um, she said that she's not convinced that Mama Albertina Sisulu would be happy today with the female representation structures within, um, you know, she said the ruling ANC and I think subsequently that will fold on to then to, to government. You know, your thoughts on that? You know, I think it's it's interesting because one starts speaking around, for example, what is the role and the mandate that the um, ANC Women's League, for example, would have. And I think there has been a lot of disappointment around the ANC's uh, Women's League, most notably around, you know, support for some of the controversies around former President Jacob Zuma, um, a sense perhaps that, you know, the Women's League may have sold out. The, the broader ideal of gender equality for political expediency um, under the presidency of of Jacob Zuma. So to a degree, I think, for the, the ANC Women's League moving forward, there is some work to be done in terms of regaining some of that moral capital on, you know, being the voice that speaks on behalf of women's issues. Um, we've seen, for example, with the announcement of the 2016 electoral results, the uh, Remember Kwesi, uh, for example, that also emerged there where a group of, of young women stepped up and said, but we do need to remember, um, you know, we, we, lest we forget. And I think there, that is the gap that the ANC Women's League used to fill, and now we'll need to try and find some sort of um, strategy to regain that moral capital. So that could potentially be the reason perhaps why Albertina Sicily might not be happy as to where the Women's League is right now, you know, if we yeah. consider her central role in defiance and leading the defiance campaign. Mm. Wonderful. Well, I want to take that point forward, uh, Professor Kotza, as we continue to speak. But let's go to the phone lines. And we've got another strong woman who calls through every week to raise some very strong points. Mrs. Govender on the line. Hello, Mrs. Govender. Hi. Uh, good afternoon, Tavish. Uh, yes. 
Um, if uh, you look worldwide, every single home, a woman is the head of the home. Although we take the father's name and we say he's the head. But if the woman or the mother is not around, everything comes to a standstill. So looking at from that standpoint, I think politically uh, there should be a jeopardy, at least a jeopardy woman in in the president's uh, cabinet. Mm. And uh, what I'm very, very perturbed about, in lots and lots of spheres of uh, financial situation, whether it's educational, medical, you'll never find a woman being appointed. A woman has got this intuition, she's, she's given this special talent in her life to bear children and bring them up, run a home, manage it, Every aspect, it's very, very difficult for a man to take all the positions what the woman takes. And I think very many women that have gone on, that Navinidam play, Devi Raja, and uh, uh, Mama Albert, uh, um, uh, Albertina Sisulu, yeah. and uh, Fatima Mir, all these people, Dr. Ghanam, they have set a standard. It has yet to be that many of us will never fit into those shoes. They have went through struggle, but these days it is not such a struggle, but it's for us to get our youth educated and look at women from a different perspective. So giving women the privilege of the education and recognizing her for everything what she does from childhood right up to becoming a woman and a mother, grandmother, she holds the world together. Mm, wonderful, Mrs. Gamanda. Thank you for that call. We really appreciate it for sharing with us your thoughts and your uh, perceptions on, on women and that leadership role. Joined on the line by Professor Jolene Steinkotzer, who's talking to us on this from a political analysis perspective. And I think uh, another big question to throw at you, Professor, and we've done it a lot again. Um, was South Africa ever ready for a female president? Professor Kotzer? Hi, Professor. I think we have lost Professor Kotzer. We're just going to dial her again and we're going to ask her that question. But yes, in the meantime, you can also text me 0716137803. We're also going to be, I think, toward the tail end of the program, we're going to be talking to, prof, uh, to pro, Professor Kalpana Hiralal to talk about that exhibition to celebrate women. And um, it all comes and it's all paying homage to Mama Albertina Sisulu. Of course, the year of Mama Sisulu as declared um, 2018, that important time to take stock and to take um, cognizance of the role of women. When we come back, we're going to wrap up our conversation with Professor Jolene Steinkotzer and we will bring you more information on that important exhibition to talk about the role of women in the liberation movement. Professor Jolene Steinkotzer back on the line to talk to us about the role of women in politics. And Professor, I think another big question to throw at you then, and taking into account what Mrs. Govender um, spoke on, and, uh, and I don't know how much of that conversation you heard, but the question is, was South Africa ever ready for a female president? You know, that, that is a particularly interesting question because ironically enough, you know, we had a similar or heard a similar debate in the in the United States, you know, when Hillary Clinton ran for, for president. 
Um, I think once, if you look across the African continent, we've had a number of female presidents who have really come forward and made a massive, massive impact in bringing stability to the country. Um, I think the unfortunate reality for South Africa was that the whole debate around whether we are ready for a female president or not was somewhat tainted by some of the, the, the spoils politics, if one can put it that way, that had characterized uh, the Zuma administration at that particular point in time. So, you know, I think um, if we look at, at the whole debate of can we have a female president in future, I would say most definitely yes. But again, it's going to depend on what is the level of stability that does come within our political system. And I think things will only start to stabilize come 2019. You know, um, the, to try and, you know, you, you look at women in politics or in a leadership role and, and you automatically then think um, and, and, you know, uh, uh, you assume that these women are... Um, you know, epitome of, of, of strength and of leadership, etc. I, I wonder, what is the parallel or the similarity between the challenges that women on the ground face compared to the women in leadership positions? Because if women on the ground tell us we constantly feel oppressed, we constantly feel our voices not being heard, women in senior leadership positions, I mean, would there be uh, some sort of similarity between the experience there? You know, there has been a multitude of studies conducted, um, most notably on the, the experience of women in senior leadership positions. Um, you know, and very often uh, some of the experience and experiences include not necessarily having their voice sufficiently heard, uh, being talked over, you know, when you sit and make those very important decisions or have those very important discussions and, and meetings. Um, so I think, you know, the ex- because we see women in senior positions, and we tend to think of them as strong and, you know, strong leaders and moving, really moving forward. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that their experiences are very dissimilar than your normal run-of-the-mill women on the, on the ground. I do think, um, you know, that South African society very often is structured still around patriarchal values. Um, and the key question would then be for women to really fight and find voice within those structures. And slowly but surely, we are starting to make inroads. And for me, the biggest example, most uh, contemporary example, would be the total shutdown that we saw mm, on 1 August. Yeah. To the phone lines again very quickly, Moon Nyker on the line. Hello, Mr. Nyker. Yeah, good afternoon, Teresh. Mm. I would like to support uh, Mrs. Governor's statement where she said that we need to have more women in senior positions. My take on this is that we are on the eve of the 2019 elections. And as you know, transformation needs to take place in stages. And I would strongly recommend a female vice president or deputy president, let's call it the correct yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deputy President, we start there, and uh, I, 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 uh, with the Deputy President coming, um, you know, issues that, allow me the use of the word, male presidents are not aware of, really do good for the country. 
Thank you. Wonderful point there. Thanks so much for calling through and raising that issue with us. I think, Professor Kotz, as we wrap up our conversation now, uh, a final point from you then. I mean, we you know, identified the role of that female within politics and South Africa not doing too badly, but of course... You know, you have a South African female politician who still needs to break the the shackles of patriarchy. Um, you say it's slowly being done. Um, how then to 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 speed it up, and how then to get it taken seriously enough? And and that links uh, with the point that Mr. Nagy had just said. That transformation is a timely. It's a process that takes time. Um, you know, we, we do have very, very politically strong um, uh, uh, female leaders that almost have the correct sense of political ethics, if you will. And the first person that comes to mind for me right there is Tuli Mandonsela. Um, you know, so when we start looking at the quality of leadership, um, again, it is going to boil down to what is the political will once the results of the 2019 general elections are out. If there's sufficient political will to expand uh, female leadership and have a female uh, deputy president, for example, but it can't be just anybody. It will need to be somebody that has really won over the hearts of the nation, so to speak. Um, And from that perspective, there are many, many women to choose from, but it's going to boil down to what that sense of political will is at the top leadership. Wonderful. Well, Professor Jolene Steinkot, so we wish you a very happy Women's Month as you go about, I think, doing the uh, important task of providing context with regard to political paradigms. We really appreciate it. And thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Always a pleasure. Always nice talking to you. Great. And we hope to speak with you soon, Professor Jolene Steinkotzer, talking to us there about the role of women in politics. Now then to Professor Kalpana Hiralal, who's the head researcher of the 1860 Heritage Center's exhibition to salute the role of women in the freedom struggle. Professor Hiralal, thanks so much again. It's so good to connect with you. And uh, you started off earlier by talking to me about, you know, what is expected, what is the intention then of this of this uh, exhibition? Yes, um, the, the exhibition, as you know, is going to be held on the 9th of August. And um, one of the aims of this exhibition is really to, to highlight the role and the, the contribution of women in South Africa's road to democracy. And, you know, women were obviously at the forefront of the struggle. And the one thing that we would like to highlight is that um, they, their, their struggles were not separate from men as, you know, as, as both uh, men and women face racial discrimination from a very, very oppressive regime. But one of the things that we also seek to eliminate is also the challenges that women face um, as a wife, as a mother, as a daughter, and the different ways in which they contributed to the struggle and how, for example, events and circumstances shape their gender identities and political consciousness. In other words, challenging gender stereotypes and um, what factors motivated them to enter politics, etc. So in some, uh, I would say that this, this exhibition is significant because in the end, it seeks to educate and inform the society, and especially we hope our younger generation in South Africa that the liberation struggle in South Africa, women played a very pivotal role, and it was yeah. a collective effort yeah. of you different know, constituencies. I want to ask, though, Professor Hiralal, you know, um, 
the issue of patriarchy and as we have this conversation it always rears its ugly head it's such a big issue i think across all sectors of society within the indian origin context specifically during a time of of apartheid and even you know dating right back to the uh, origins of indenture was it a bigger challenge then for uh, women of indian origin to fight um you know different levels of patriarchy to make their mark of course i mean it was a a real challenge because i mean patriarchy remember at the turn of the century and also in the 1950s and 1960s was very very deeply embedded so i mean there were some families for example um that didn't want their children even to get an education let alone enter politics so these were the kind of you know challenges that the women had to endure they had to face but obviously over time you know patriarchy tend to kind of it hasn't kind of subsided at all in in a sense but it has kind of um, changed to some extent and you would find that um um parents then had more liberal attitudes um allow their children to enter education you know uh, secondary school tertiary education and some of our early um, you know women activists for example um uh, challenged uh, family attitudes in terms of education some of them went abroad so these were the kind of challenges yeah. you know yeah. that they had to face yeah i think i'll leave it there with you professor kalpana hiralal who's of course the head researcher there for the exhibition to salute the role of women in the freedom struggle that takes place on the 9th of august at 2 o'clock at the 1860 heritage center professor hiralal thanks for your time thank you and i think as we wrap up the uh, to the phone lines very quickly i think mr louis pele on the line mr pele very quickly good good afternoon yeah yeah this could happen to you you know we must thank the the women of 1956 fatima mir phyllis naidu and uh, mayet all those for inspiration that given us and we need to take a leap also of mother teresa's book and then we got to teach our ladies here in south africa lead assist and help them maybe we can prevent rape and and educate them as well thank you Mr. Pillay, thanks, thanks for you to uh, to raise the issue as well today on Newsbreak Talk. We leave it there. Kemi Weka, courtesy of the team, executive producer Salma Patel and Rachel Vadi, and we'll be talking to you again tomorrow. Is a very big topic for us, so we'll be talking between one and two. From me, Tarish, hey, have an awesome day.